In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht good blether. And you could also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcast and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice. And welcome to episode 19 of Scottish Blethers with Liz Lister, tongue twister. And Helen Houston. And I'm Susan Brown. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, less than the Mickey taking. In this episode, we are going to be specialising on all things Robert Burns. Who's Robert Burns? Helen, why don't you give a quick intro to him? Okay, well, Robert Burns is sometimes known as our national bard, and he was born quite some time ago in 1759 in Ayrshire, and he has written lots and lots of poetry. And I think as we go through our episode today, you will find that you actually know some of it yourselves. I think we should maybe explain what a bard is as well. A bard or a macker is a poet someone who makes things with words. So he's our national poet. And on the 25th of January to celebrate his birthday, we have what is really effectively the second Scottish National Day, which is our Burns Day. You know, Liz, I'm glad you jumped in with that because I was going to ask you, how do you say the things that he writes? How do I say the things he writes? Poem. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Poems. Don't start getting on at me. My daughter's already getting on at me at the beginning about the introduction about alphabet. She says every time I say alphabet, she has a laugh at me. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. So, ladies, Robert Burns. He was a lover, not a fighter. This is true. And I know he's so important to Scottish culture, but I just don't get it. I'm afraid I'm going to rely on the two of you to tell me why Robert Burns is so important and why he's so relevant today. Because as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I can think of other people I'd rather talk about. Well, I think you're fighting a losing battle there, Susan, because in 2009... In most of the world. <laughs> I know, they held a poll on, on STV, one of the Scottish television channels, and he was voted the greatest Scot ever. So he's held in a whole load of admiration and respect. Now, what I would say to you is that although he's a cultural icon for Scotland and everybody knows his name and knows that he was a poet, although they know his poetry and his songs, perhaps they couldn't actually recite them and they certainly don't understand them so it's maybe he's relevant today at a superficial level and perhaps instead of disregarding him we should actually examine him in more detail yeah there are some of his poetry that's you know quite quite relevant today some of his words um you know 
we'll add that some of the gift to gi us to see ourselves as others see us. I think some yeah. of the political people might feel that was quite a good one to have. Perhaps you should explain what that means, Helen. Oh, somebody, oh, we had the power, the gift of the power to see ourselves as others see us. Yeah, and what poem did that come from? That's from To a Louse, and that's a really interesting poem because it's, if you imagine the congregation sitting in church, listening to the minister, and we've all done it, we all, our minds wander and we look around at other things. Well, Robert Burns is sitting in church and in front of him is Jenny, one of the local beauties and you know, a little bit higher up the social scale than he is. And she's got this beautiful hat on, which is covered in sort of gauze and lace. But he spots a louse, your know, head lice, a louse crawling around <laughs> in the, the network of her hat. And he's just saying, you know, oh, you know, louse, just be careful where you're going. You shouldn't be there. You should be on some lesser being's hat. But the rest of the congregation are spotting this. And so they're looking at Jenny and she, being a little bit vain, thinks that they're looking at her beauty and she's kind of smiling and nodding her head. And every time she nods her head, the louse gets a little bit further up the, the mm-hmm. net. So that's where he says, oh, wad some power, the gift to gi us to see ourselves as others see us. Because everybody else is seeing the louse, but Jenny thinks that, oh, they're looking at my beauty. I'm lovely. <laughs> and then, well, that's supposedly taking the mickey out of the poor woman. And that is exactly what Robert Burns did. He was a social yeah. commentator and very, very strong on the satire. And to understand his work, you've got to really understand a little bit about his background. Because when he came to Edinburgh and his poems were first published and he was beginning to get some fame and he was being accepted in the circles of Edinburgh, they called him Heaven Taught Ploughman. Burns was a Heaven Taught Ploughman. Burns was respected by the literati of Edinburgh as what they called yeah. heaven taught ploughman. He- is it heaven born? No, heaven. Oh, heathen? God, sorry. The heaven taught plough. When he came to Edinburgh and he was being accepted in the social circles there, they called him the heaven taught ploughman. And they thought that this was some ignorant farmer come from the wilds of Ayrshire who had this fantastic ability to write poetry and song. He was actually relatively well educated because his father was a self-educated man, although he was just a tenant farmer. And he paid for tutors to teach his sons in French and Latin, English literature, Scottish literature. So he had actually had quite a a good education. And so he didn't like people looking down on him. And he could take them down a peg or two with um, some Mm -hmm. very satirical and hard-hitting poetry. Ah, yes, I seem to remember something from my training about a parcel of a rogues in the nation when he was writing about the dissolution of the Scottish Parliament. Was that not what he was talking about? I think it was. I think the Corries sang about that, didn't they? The parcel of rogues in the nation where they sold out Scotland. But one thing you know that you're picking up already is that he wrote in a strong Scots dialect. You have to remember that writing at the end of the 1700s, it's not long after the defeat of the Jacobites at Culloden and everything Scots was being frowned on. So in Edinburgh, people were sending their children for elocution lessons so that they could lose their Scots accent and have a nice posh English accent. And so he was rebelling against that 
and started to write in this strong Scots dialect. Which was his natural dialect. And even at the time when this is, you mentioned the Jacobites, but places like Killeen Castle just up the coast from him was busy being built by Robert Adam at that time. So there was lots going on that he was noticing and seeing. And uh, we talked about some of the quotes that are useful today and we know about them. And we've done to a louse. Well, to a mouse, where you've got the best laid schemes o' mice and men gang after glee. I think this whole thing is quite relevant to COVID. The best laid schemes o' mice and men gang after glee and lay us nocht but grief and pain for promised joy. But thou still thou art blessed compared with me. The present only touches thee. But och, I backward cast by e on prospects drear. And forward, though I canna see, I kiss, I guess, and fear. And I think that whole stanza just is COVID. We're in the dark. We don't know what's going on. We're like a wee, a wee mouse in the stubble field. Yep, and that was one of his themes, nature. But the way you were reciting it there, that yeah. type of rhythm is called standard habit which is also now called burn stanza because it was the style that he used. So it was six lines, four longer and two short. But what's actually very good about it, it has a rhythm and a standard. So it's actually very easy to repeat and remember. So I don't know about you, Helen, but when I was growing up in school, every January we would have burns competitions and you had to recite, you know, to a moose or to a mountain daisy or whatever. And I think that's... um, it's good for children because they can get this rhythm and repetition in his poetry. And I think that it still goes on today. Just a wee story about To a Mouse. My granddaughter was practising her To a Mouse recitation in the lounge and my grandson was practising his To a Louse presentation in the conservatory. And Alex, my granddaughter, was facing the conservatory she started off with To a Mouse, wee, sleekit, coor and timorous beastie, Oh, grandmother, there's a mouse, there's a mouse. <laughs> there was a mouse in the conservatory <laughs> had come in from the garden. <laughs> Just to listen. <laughs> no, but again, this very descriptive language, which he's brilliant at. I mean, as to a mouse continues, it talks about they need not run away so hasty with bickering brattle. We're having a battle in our house at the moment about the time that's been spent on phones and computers. So... You know, I walk into the room and suddenly my husband jumps up and he's giving me bickering brattle. He's just talking rubbish because he's been on his phone and he's been caught. So I was telling him it was bickering brattle. But he's he's so gentle too because when we're on the theme of the two a louse and two a mouse, his two a mountain daisy is just beautiful. Wee modest crimson tippet fluor, who's met me in an evil lure, that I'm on crush among the stoor thy slender stem. To spare thee new is past my poor, thou bonny gem. I just think that's just really gentle. If you think a little daisy in the field and his plough comes along and he crushes it and he's saying, I can't do anything about it, I'm terribly sorry. He reflects on nature and then takes the theme and extrapolates it wider to the wider world. So he, t- he picks up some sentiment that he wants to get across and does that through his highly descriptive writing but of course as well as his poetry it was also his songs and many of our listeners will be familiar with some of his songs now I do like his songs I listen to the ones that Eddie Reader sings 
and she's got a whole album of Burns songs because she loved them as well. And you've got the likes of A Fond oh. Kiss or My Love Is Like a Red Red Rose. So, you know, he was very much, as I said, that the lover, not a fighter. I mean, how many children did he have and how many were legitimate? Not many. Well, he had 12, but yes. uh, a lot of them died in infancy. Yes, and most of them were illegitimate. Yeah. Jean Armour, his wife, was long-suffering because she still took him yeah. back every time. Oh, no, it's incredible. She's mentioned in the poem, such is the, the fate of artless maid, sweet flowerist of the rural shade. That's Jean Armour in the background, the rural shade. She was his long-lasting love yeah. in spite of everything else. But Bob Dylan, you know, you ask if Rabbi Burns is relevant today. Bob Dylan said that Red Red Rose was the biggest influence on his writing. Really? Yeah, being able to convey the sentiments of love and a fond kiss, conveying the yeah. sentiments of loss. That was written for Nancy McElhose, who he called Clorinda. And she called him Sylvester because she was actually still married, although she was estranged from her husband. And she decided to go and join her husband in Jamaica. And yeah. uh, this was the partings. But seemingly it was a platonic relationship. He wanted more and she wasn't having any of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, with his track record, do you <laughs> blame her? Definitely not. The a kiss you've got. I'll never blame my partial fancy. Nathan could resist my Nancy. But to see her was to love her, love but her and love forever. Nancy is the short form of Agnes. She was Agnes McElhose and she was known as Nancy. Yeah, he had the patter. Yes. You have to give him that. But of course, he actually took songs and poems and somebody once wrote about him. They said they had the ability to read the potential of a sentiment. So he could listen to a song or a poem and he could then refine it and polish it and turn it into something wonderful. So one of his biographers once said of him, Burns could make silk purses out of other poets' sow's ears. You know, he had the ability to take um, work and then elevate it to a different level. And a lot of the, the songs and ballads that he heard were yeah. from his mother because she was very strong in the oral tradition. She would repeat songs and anecdotes and little ballads and ditties. And he was fascinated by these, particularly about horror stories and the supernatural. Oh, and that's that's where the epic poem that he wrote, Tam O'Shanter, which is recited at Burns Nights across the world, is a horror story, a supernatural story that was the, the drunken farmer going out and getting, getting drunk and forgetting to come home. And there's some lovely quotes from that as well. Just imagine the two the two men sitting in the pub, and they're just oh we'll just have, we'll just have one for the road, and then it's another one for the road, and then okay, he never thinks about going home, home where sits our sulky sullen dame, gathering her brows like gathering storm, nursing her wrath to keep it warm. I just think that's a wonderful, you can see it, can't you? Just her sitting there at the fire, nursing her wrath. How many when, of us have done that? <laughs> Where the heck is he? Should exactly. be home by now. <laughs> and just in, in three lines, he gets it the whole story over. But one of the other things he's got in there, that because Ayr, Ayrshire is where he grew up, that, that was his home. And it has to really be good to Ayr because he says, Old Ayr, wham near a tune surpasses. For honest men and bonnie lassies. 
And Susan, you know, when you're talking about is he relevant today, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've looked up at the window in St Giles, the Leifer Bradford window, and which is the Burns window, yes. and seen the three different colours, the red for love, the green for nature, and the blue for the common man, for, you know, a man's a man for all that, for social justice yes. and the rights of the undertrodden. Yes, so he's there, but... And I understand there are burn suppers around the world, um, and I don't, he's got a huge following in Russia. Oh hasn't yes, he? the Russians yes, love a bit yes. of burns. Well, that's all about social justice, isn't it? I mean, it was the Communist Party thought he was wonderful. He was the poet of the people. Yes, and did he not belong to a gentleman's club? Oh yes, Tarvolton. He he was one of the founding members. They had to behave towards women in a certain way. That was one of the conditions of membership. I certainly know that gentleman is an inverted commas. One of the things that's said about him is he was a chameleon. He could write for whoever his audience was. And what I actually find really interesting when you get into him, I spoke about his mother and the oral tradition, but he himself said that she would sing many erotic songs. And so at this time in the 18th century, there was a strong body tradition, B-A-W-D-Y, where the, the songs were for entertaining gentlemen of his type and even Lizzie Lindsay, which today is a beautiful melody. If you go back to the actual words that were written in the first place, it's it's quite erotic. <laughs> but at the same time, he, he wrote The Rights of Women and you know, the role of yes. the female in the... Now, we've got to remember, it's the 18th century society and he writes that the rights of women merit some attention. The poem is quite simple. It's when Europe's eye is fixed on mighty things, the fate of empires and the fall of kings, while quacks of state must each produce his plan and even children lisp the rights of man. Amid this mighty fuss, just let me mention the rights of women merit some attention. But it's 18th century rights, Liz, and he's talking about protection, decorum, and admiration. They must protect yeah. and respect the delicacy of the female sex. I don't know if that would go down so well today. No, but he did have a burning resentment of anything that he thought of as unjust. Clearly, he, is, yeah. He, he would re- rant against it. And the way that he wrote about it, it wasn't really a rant. He used humour. Like a good example of that is oh, Holy Willie's Prayer, where he saw yeah. hip- hypocrisy you know there was a number of times that the church was very strong obviously in the 18th century and if you were any misdemeanor or moral aberration of any kind at all you were brought before the congregation to sit at the front in humiliation and there was quite a few times he ended up at the front of the kirk and um, he used to just think that they were a bunch of hypocrites and that was the basis for holy willie's prayer and it's beautiful where holy willie is kind of saying oh god i'm so good i'm so good you've got to keep a place in heaven for me and you just just forget about that fact that last night i was with so and so and the week before i was with somebody else forget about that but remember the squire what he's done wrong and remember the, you know, jimmy what he's done wrong don't remember me exactly. <laughs> He uses the Scots dialect and then the sort of English Scots to go between as if it's two different yeah. characters. So, you know, very, very clever. Are, are we convincing you yet, Susan? Uh, you're certainly making me think I should give him a bit more kudos than maybe I've given him. So moving on to burn suppers, ladies, what is the format yeah. of a burn supper? Because people will hear lots about that just now. Well, there's a supper, of course. 
And Selkirk Grace, one of Burns's poems, is this is the grace that will be said before the supper. And that is, some hae meat and canna eat, and some wad eat that want it. But we hae meat and we can eat, and say the Lord be thank it. And of course, we then have the address to the lassies and they reply. So it's using Burns language, but more importantly, taking yeah. his themes to be able to use that as a, as a basis. Now, what I'd like to know, if there's anybody listening in from Canada, because of course, Burns celebrations go on all over the world. And I'm told that in Vancouver in Canada, they do a joint Burns supper with a celebration of the new year. And it's called Gung Haggis Fat Choi. So if anybody knows anything about Gung Haggis Fat Choi, please write in and tell us all about it. I had not, not heard that before. That's brilliant. The other thing about the, the address to the lassies, the toast to the lassies, and then the reply from the lassies, the big speech, the main speech of the night is the immortal memory. The toast to Robert Burns himself, to Rabbi Burns himself. Uh, and then there's usually poetry recitings and singing goes on. It's usually a very good evening. It is. If you ever get the opportunity to listen to Tam O'Shanter, it's fantastic. If you get a talented oh. narrator who can recite. It's almost reciting and acting it out. It's a, it's a story that has to be acted out, hasn't it? Absolutely. And it's so exciting. It's all highs and lows. It rises and then it falls as you're taking on this galloping journey as he tries to escape the witches. But it's quite... I believe the Scottish Tourist Guides Association are going to be doing a little video on Tam O'Shanter with different guides reciting different verses. It's going to be fabulous. Andy Middleton's of the Scottish Tourist Guides Association is organising that, so I can't wait. She's doing some brilliant work just now. Going back to Tam O'Shanter, something I discovered when I was kind of, you're looking at things for, for today's podcast, that we've all heard of the ship, the Cutty Sark, which is down in London. Yes. We've all heard of that. Well, it was named after a line in Tam O'Shanter because Tam is looking at all the witches and warlocks and ghosties in the churchyard. He's getting really, as Liz says, building up to a high. And Tam gets so excited that there's one of particular which a young girl who's dancing in a very short shirt a, a sark a sark is a shirt and he gets so excited he yells out well done cutty sark and the yeah. the owner of the ship when it was being built the now named this cutty sark decided that's the name for my ship hmm. yeah and if you also think about john steinbeck you know his novel of mice and men that's taken from yes so he's had his influences all over I think he's just he's just wonderful, and we we did nursing her wrath to keep it warm. Here's another one which I think is, I think many women might relate to. To money lengthen sage advices, the husband fray the wife the wife despises, but pleasures are like poppies spread. You seize the flower, its bloom is shed, or like the snow falls in the river, a moment white then melts forever. Nay, man can tether time nor tide. But Tam, has, he's spent too long in the pub and he's now trying to get home. But the poet is saying, but every man, the wife is always giving good advice and how many men pay attention to it. Exactly. For Here's one for Susan. I was going to, um, okay. I've got one for Susan. If I can find it, Susan, uh, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Chat amongst yourselves because <laughs> I found one and I wrote beside it, this one's for Susan. You're just talking about Burns' suppers. I mean, the, Helen was talking there about music. 
when Burns wrote his poetry and his, well, when he wrote his songs, it was traditionally for fiddle and guitar. And you mentioned earlier Eddie Reader, yes, is fabulous. If anybody oh. wants to listen. Because in an autobiography, one of his autobiographers said about him that his work woos the ear and wins the heart. So it doesn't really matter if you understand it or not. It's just beautiful to listen to the flow of it and the words that you'll pick up one or two in between it. And Eddie Reader is a really good way of getting into and accessing Burns in the first place. I found the one that I thought, thought was for Susan. It's farewell to the highlands, farewell to the north, the birthplace of valour, the country of worth. Wherever I wander, wherever I rove, the hills of the highlands forever I love. And then it goes on to say, my heart is in the highlands, a chasing the deer, chasing the wild deer and following the roe. My heart is in the highlands wherever I go. Now, Susan, you're really a Highlander, a Highland Perthshire, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, totally. And I, I might disappear off to Bermuda for a few months at a time, but I'm always keen <laughs> to come home. So, yes, I get that sentiment entirely. <laughs> That's about the beauty and the sentimentality and the romance, because he was at the beginning of the romantic era. But I like his humour. I'll read out one which is addressed to the toothache. <laughs> Right, so just imagine you've had the toothache just now with dentists having been closed. There's a lot of people suffering. My curse upon your venomed stang that shoots my tortured gums along. And through my lug, he's money a twang with gnawing vengeance, tearing my nerves with bitter pang like racking engines. And down the beard, slavers trickle. I throw the wee stools o'er the mickle. While round the fire the giglets keckle to see me loup. While raving mad, I wish a heckle were in their mouth. That's <laughs> so good, Liz. <laughs> I don't understand a word of it, but don't you just feel the pain shooting along your I gums? I was just going to say that the words he's using and the, the kind of the staccato effect of some of these words, you can feel the pain, can't you? Exactly. Well, I'm going to bring you up to date with a poem that my cousin and his wife, Douglas and Susie Scott, wrote down in London. And Dukes is originally from Aberfeldy, and our uncle was a real fan of Burns. So I think they were channeling their inner Burns and their uncle. So they wrote the Ode to the Pavlova. <laughs> so here you go. Instead of Ode to the yeah. Haggis. <laughs> Just another day in lockdown. Oh, where to begin? I've paced the floors, climbed the walls, but worst of all, I've drunk all the gin. <laughs> Scavenging through cupboards to locate some more wine, pining and remembering days of old when friends and family would come over to dine. But alas, no more liquor in my abode, nothing but perishable dry goods as inspiration for this ode. Hence the humble beginnings of the magnificent Pavlova, named after the famous ballerina Anna, who toured the world over. Served on the Titanic, considered palatable for royalty, the Pavlova truly was hip, all the rage and quite the novelty. Its origins and ownership are fought over by the Aussies and New Zealanders, but we know it must have been founded by the Bonnie Scott Highlanders. <laughs> no filling, simple meringue laid bare, like under a kilt, completely Spartan. Fruity additions in red, green, yellow and blue resemble the Scott Tartan. Finally, the pavlova was so shaped so it could be worn as a sporran. Accompanied by a wee dram of whiskey, there's no possibility it was ever foreign. So only the privileged can share my tasty fare. It will set your heart racing, just like my big Bertha underwear. 
<laughs> That's lovely. That's really good. <laughs> Brings it right up to present yes. day. <laughs> I think we have to confess that we had mixed feelings about whether we would do a Burns edition because there are so many people that have such a detailed knowledge and are so good at this. But the way that we addressed it was, is he still relevant today? And I would argue very, very strongly that he is and urge people to go out and find out a little bit more about yeah. him. I'm definitely a way to go and listen to my Eddie Reader songs again. There's one verse I think is actually very relevant for today and especially on the eve of what's coming up. We're recording in January. Let us pray that come at me as come at will for all that, that sense and worth o'er all the earth shall bear the gree and all that. For all that and all that, it's coming yet for all that, that man to man the world o'er shall brothers be for all that. A good point yeah. to end on. <laughs> well done, Helen. I think that's a perfect way to end the episode. Ladies, thank you for your time once more and see you again soon. See you, see you soon. soon. Bye. 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 And there we have it, the end of another episode of Scottish Blethers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blethers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast platform of choice. It's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye.